The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. These are hard and even kind of uh, jarring words. As Jesus spells out uh, his vision, his picture of what a follower is. Um, and uh, it, it seems radical and extreme. And, uh, uh, but it's what Jesus says will be true of the person who's committed to being his follower, uh, his disciple. Uh, is this really how we view d- discipleship in the church? Is this really how we practice it in our own lives, both in us as well as how we raise up and disciple and, and call others to follow Jesus? Well, my observation is that I don't think this is oftentimes how it goes or works. And in fact, um, what I think happens more in the church, it goes something like this. Um, uh, you know, you, you, the first step, it's, it's kind of a progression of steps, right? And we all know the first step is to get saved. Got to start there, right? That's the entry point. Get saved. And then um, we take people to this long progression, the very pinnacle and climax of which is this kind of serious commitment and radical devotion, right? So it kind of looks like this. You get saved, and uh, the first thing you do is you get a very minimal job in the church that requires zero sacrifice and zero commitment. You know, something like passing out the bulletin. Right? You know, no great loss if you don't show up. Somebody else will do it. And it takes little time, no, no time, no commitment, no sacrifice. But we start people there to kind of ease them into being a follower, right? And then if they handle that well, we might move them up to the next step to something like, you know, getting communion ready. Right, because that takes a little more commitment. You got to actually get here like before church starts, a few minutes, you know, and, and you may actually have to do something. So, a little more sacrifice involved, a little more time. So, kind of ease them into that. And then, as they get kind of good at that, then we jump the big one on them. You know, teach Sunday school, <laughs> serious commitment and sacrifice. Right, putting up with children and getting here early and like the whole deal. Right, and if they do well with that, you know, we we move them up and up and up until. After many years of growing and being taught and trained and maturing and developing, then we would say to them, now you're ready to really be this kind of follower. And now you're at a place where you can sell your home and move to a foreign country and, you know, ditch your dying uh, parent and, uh, you know, say farewell to your family and really serve God as a follower. Go someplace like Thailand and be a missionary or something, Right. And that's like the pinnacle. But, you know, you just don't spring this on people all at once because, you know, when they're new believers, you just don't say, move to a foreign country and, you know, really follow God with your whole life, right? Isn't that kind of how we practice it in the church, right? Isn't that kind of how we do this? There's this progression. You don't unload the whole dump truck load of commitment on them all at once. Uh, What would Jesus say about that? Well, in Jesus, throughout the Gospels, there are two groups of people that Jesus deals with. One group is the crowd, and oftentimes the crowd is thousands of people. The crowd are people who are interested in Jesus. They are listening to his teaching. But throughout the Gospels, they don't get what he's saying. Right? They have no clue, really, what Jesus is talking about. Then there is another group, 
who seem to be often equally as clueless, who are the disciples, right? Who have committed and chosen with what they understand of Jesus to follow him. And, and Jesus spells out here exactly what that means to be a follower. And for Jesus, there's no in-between steps or groups. You're either in the crowd outside of his kingdom, outside of his plan and purpose, or you're a follower, right? There's no handing out bulletins, right? There's no teaching Sunday school in between. You either follow him or you don't, right? And, and so, uh, so I think we need to rethink and reevaluate and think about what Jesus says here and what it means for us as we disciple people and as we live out what it means to be a disciple in our, in our, in our own life. What does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower um, and am I doing that? Right? Am I a follower? Do I meet the requirements that he lays out here? Let me just say right at the front that I know for a lot of you can say, oh yeah, you know, my parents are dying, I'm here. Said goodbye to my family, I'm here. You know, I must truly be a disciple. Uh, well, let's, let's see. Uh, what is Jesus saying in these hard words? Um, Let's look at these three examples, and, and he gives three very extreme expectations uh, as response to three people who are interested in discipleship. Two of them actually formally request, Jesus, I would like to follow you. One of them, Jesus, actually calls to follow him. But in each of these cases, it's their response and Jesus' answer that uh, attracts attention. Uh, Luke d doesn't explain what they did, if they listened to Jesus' advice or not, because the focus really is what Jesus is saying here about what discipleship is. Uh, and in each of these uh, instances, the key word that's used here is the word follow. They say, what must I do to follow you? I want to follow you. But there's a very technical and special word, and it's not just a general word like follow. Like they're not just saying, Jesus, you know, I, I heard you're on the way to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. Can I follow you there? Not what it means. It's a technical word that was used in rabbinic traditions among the rabbis for one who attached themselves to a rabbi to sit under them and learn their teaching. And so to be a follower is really what we would get the words, the word we get disciple from. There's a couple of different words that are used, but this word is used exclusively in the Gospels to speak of those who were following Jesus both physically, because they were following him around, but more than that, that they were adhering to his teaching and subscribing uh, as, as a disciple, as a committed follower who was seeking to live out and practice everything that Jesus taught. They're, they're the ones that Jesus says you need to be a doer of the word. These are the guys trying to do it, right? Uh, so that's what Jesus is talking about here, and that's what they're asking. They're not just asking to go on the journey, but actually to be his students, his disciples. Uh, and and uh, he gives three answers to each of these three. So let's look at the first one. He, he says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And it's interesting, if you, if you remember the context last Sunday, uh, Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. And he's going toward Jerusalem. Remember how he's getting there. He's not going, taking the scenic route around Samaria. He's going through Samaria. And he just went to a Samaritan village where they wouldn't let him in. They said, ah, we're not letting Jesus into our village, right? And so there's some level of commitment here. The guy's saying, hey, I'll follow you even through Samaria, <laughs> okay? I'll go to places that maybe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of making a sacrifice here, right? But, but note was Jesus' answer. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus is saying, um, you follow me, to be, to be a follower of me means you must follow me above even concern about your own physical needs. Right? He says, if you follow me, there's no guarantee there will be shelter. This reminds me back in the days when I was doing backpacking and uh, outdoor ed- education, and I would teach classes on survival, right, uh, to small children who, it was just fun, you know. And um, you, you talk about when you're, if you get lost or if you're in the wilderness, uh, the first thing you got to do is you got to take care of your essential needs, right? And I would always ask the kids what your essential needs were, and almost always the first thing was food, right? But actually, it's not an essential need in that kind of situation. The first needs would be things like water, shelter, and fire, right? Those are the big three, you know. Food is optional because you can live a long time without food, but you can't live long without water. Uh, and oftentimes you can't live long in, in many environments without adequate shelter. So shelter would be considered by most a very essential human need. And so Jesus isn't talking about here something that's kind of non-essential. Like, you know, if you want to be my follower, just remember, you may not always be able to go to the movies, right? Not talking about movies here. He's talking about, or, you know, Swenson's, right? He's talking about shelter. No place to lay my head. This is a vital, essential human need. You need to survive. Maybe you could do okay in Thailand without shelter, but in the, where I come from in the high mountains of Colorado, without shelter, you die. Right? Jesus says, if you follow me, those essential human needs, like shelter, are optional. And it's pretty extreme, pretty extreme. Um, and I think he's saying this. He's saying that there are absolutely no conditions to following him. Right? There, are no, there can be no conditions if you want to follow me. Uh, even the conditions of basic human needs. Uh, we, in other words, we cannot say, Lord, I'll follow you as long as my basic needs are met. Right? Jesus says that's not an option. You can't say that. He says, if you want to be my follower, you cannot say, well, sure, I'll follow you as long as my basic human needs are met. I, uh, and, and the reality is that, that this quickly, because here's the deal. For none of us, do essential human needs, are they limited to water, shelter, and, and fire, right? Okay, for us, it usually kind of, the list gets quite a bit longer of essential needs. And it, it, it's not long. It doesn't take much before... What it, what it really is, is, Lord, I'll follow you as long as it's convenient and as long as you guarantee my safety and my comfort. Right? Uh, and Jesus would say, no, that's not what it means to follow me. And if you have that kind of condition, that understanding, then you don't know what it means. You don't understand what I am asking when I call you to be my disciple, to follow me. Um, you know, uh, so, so here's the deal. You know, it's not, as, uh, it's not about being comfortable, being cared for, being safe, being secure. Uh, it's not about, you know, Jesus, I will follow you as soon as I raise my minimum base support level. <laughs> and I'm not saying we shouldn't have, have these things, but I just think it's ironic. Okay, this is just kind of my side commentary. You can throw things at me later. I just think it's very ironic when you, when you look at this in today's world. That, that uh, if Jesus lived in, in the world today, there's not a mission, missions agency in the world that would send him out to do ministry, right? Because he wouldn't meet the minimum support level. 
they, they would say, like, well, Jesus, you know, uh, you got a ways to go to get to that 90% mark. Like, like where are you at now? Zero percent? Hmm, yeah, that's, that's a problem. We're thinking this really isn't for you, right? Maybe you should consider being like an electrician or something. Carpenter, I hear you're good with wood, right? Um, I'll, leave that to, I'll just leave you to think about that. All right. Jesus says, I will follow you wherever you go. And he answers, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Right. Second story. Uh, another man is there, and, and Jesus actually says to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Uh, again, these, these are extreme and harsh words, right? And in, in Jewish culture, customs, much like we see often in Thailand, there was huge pressure, huge sense of duty and responsibility for a child to take care to, that their parents were, uh, received a proper burial. And it, it was one of the largest duties and responsibilities of a child. And it was a way that you were to show honor and respect to your family, right? Um, and, and uh, you know, and Jesus gives this pretty harsh answer that, that clearly is saying that culture and that tradition is not, is not that important in comparison to following me. Uh, in fact, he says, you know, let the dead bury their dead. Uh, you can't get much more crude and rude than that, right? And, and there's some, you know, people try to mitigate what Jesus is saying here. And one of the ways that commentaries and scholars have tried to mitigate what Jesus is saying here is, is to say that what the guy's really saying is, well, you know, my dad is going to die. He's older. He's 47. And, um, you know, he's going to die someday. And I'll follow you as soon as, you know, he gets old and dies and I bury him. But it's not actually what Jesus says. And, in fact, the, the language that's used here would indicate that the guy's talking about something much more urgent. His dad is either, you know, like one foot in the grave, like 49, or, um, or he's, he's perhaps already dead. He's perhaps already died. And he's saying, you know, I'm in, in, I'm in the middle of this uh, funeral thing. You know, uh, let me take care of this, and, and then I'll follow you. Right? And Jesus' answer is, well, let the dead bury their dead. Okay, well, imagine if somebody just died and you said that to them. It's kind of harsh, right? What does Jesus mean by that? Well, uh, it's clearly hyperbole. And, in fact, the uh, New Living translates it, let the spiritually dead take care of their dead. Uh, that's a, a New Living Testament interpretation. It's not actually what's in the, the Greek. It just says, let the dead bury their dead. Some people think that Jesus is saying, well, let the spiritually dead take care of the dead because they're, they're not about God's mission. Uh, it's possible that's what Jesus intended, although I don't think this guy would have understood that, right? If that's, if that's what Jesus was saying, I can't imagine this guy putting those pieces together. I think Jesus meant what he said, let dead people bury dead people. And it's obviously hyperbole, it's overstatement, it's, it's intended to make him think. And I think it, uh, the point Jesus was good at is this. Um, you know, you, want to, you, you feel this duty and this responsibility to honor your father by burying him. Here's the thing. He's dead, right? Whatever you do for him is going to go right past him. Or you could say right over him or something, right? He's not going to get it because 
he's not here, right? He's not here. The only one that can really adequately honor dead people are dead people because they've gone to the other side and, and they, can, they can have a party over there and they can share testimonies and they can have cool eulogies that they'll actually get. Anything you say, they don't hear. They're dead, right? Which is a side note, by the way, if you really want to honor somebody, if you really want to tell them how wonderful their life is and you want to remember cool things about them, tell them before they die. Because after they're dead, they're not going to hear, right? Nobody in heaven gets there and the first thing they do opens up their obituary to see what people said about them, okay? It doesn't work that way, right? Jesus, the dead, only the dead can do that, right? So your duty to your, your dead father doesn't mean a whole lot because he's gone, right? He's gone, right? Um, so his point is this. You are on a different mission. You have a different duty, uh, your duty, your responsibility is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to, to proclaim the kingdom. Right? Uh, so, so, so Jesus here again says that the most important duties in life, even towards family, even towards burying a parent, must never take precedence over following Christ. That's what he says. He says, you know, there's no such thing as... Um, I'll, I'll serve you as soon as I take care of this family responsibility. Uh, we are not to be uh, moved by the expectation of others. We are now moved by mission, proclaiming the kingdom, not duty to family and the expectations of this world. Third, the third incident. Third person comes, um, and he says, he says, he says, yet another one says, I, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Uh, the language in this uh, would likely have reminded a, a Jewish person of First uh, Kings nineteen nineteen through twenty, uh, where, where Scripture says this: Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. Uh, and there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. And Elijah went over him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. It's a way of calling or anointing Elisha to take over Elijah's prophetic ministry. And Elisha uh, left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye. Then I'll go with you. Uh, and what does Elijah say? Elijah says, Do it, right? But to, to this guy, Jesus says, um, if you do that, if you, if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you are proving yourself unfit for the kingdom. In other words, if you follow me, you must follow me above even family ties. Okay? Even family, love, and affection must take precedence over, uh, must not take precedence over following me. Um, all right, hard words, right? And, and if you could summarize it, I would, I would summarize it this way. Jesus is saying to follow me means that Jesus must be first in everything. Okay, if you want to be a follower, a disciple of Christ, Jesus must be absolutely first in everything. Over my own physical needs, over uh, family duties and the expectations of people around me, and even over the most intimate personal relationships of love and affection in my life. Jesus must have precedence over those things. Nothing 
can make a claim upon our life above Jesus. Uh, nothing can claim, claim us over the claims of Christ if we're going to be his disciple. Not our base, most basic human need, not family duties, not intimate relationships. And there's nothing gradual about it. Right? If you say, if you want to follow me, this is what it is. This is what it means to follow me. Right? And, and, I, and I believe this. I believe that if a person's not willing to make this kind of commitment, they will never grow or mature. Right? There is no such thing as a person growing or maturing enough to where they, you know, they're strong enough to make this commitment. Now, it's true that the, the process of understanding what the commitment is and, and the development of faith to make that step may be gradual. A person may hear the gospel and may hear uh, the teachings and claims of Christ many, many times before they understand it. But there will come a point of decision in every person's life where this is the decision, to follow Christ or not. And to follow him requires this kind of commitment to put Christ first above absolutely everything in their life. Everything. So that nothing uh, can claim, make a claim over Christ. That there's never such a thing as, I will follow you as soon as, or I will follow you as long as I'm taken care of, and things work out the way I want. Um, so that's what Jesus says. Now, through this, Jesus paints a picture of what true discipleship is. And I want to go back through the stories again briefly and fill in some uh, principles of what I think discipleship is and is not. Right? Because uh, Jesus... We don't want to make Jesus say things here that he doesn't say, and we don't want to leave out things that he's saying. So let's look at a couple principles of discipleship we can glean from this. The first principle is this. Uh, I think Jesus is teaching here that he is the only one who can set the agenda for our life. He's the only one who has the right to set the agenda for our life. If we're following him, it means that he's the one who determines the course and direction and purpose of our life and no one else, not, especially not the duties and expectations of others. Right? Jesus must determine the direction and course of our life. Uh, when Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead, your duty is to go out and preach about the kingdom. Okay? He is, he's dictating to these guys what his mission and plan and purpose for them is. Um, so we need to be constantly asking the question, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? Right? We never have the right or freedom to, um, to do our own thing, to decide for ourselves what we think is important and best and right. Uh, to be a disciple means to be continually going before Christ and seeking his leading in direction in our life and to adopting for ourselves his, his purpose and his goal. Uh, and he spells out clearly what that purpose and that goal is. Um, it, is uh, it is his kingdom. Right? So uh, our first concern, uh, our first worry should not be uh, our physical needs or the expectations of others. It should be, what is Jesus asking me to do? What is Jesus demanding of my life today? Right? So, so here's a test. Here's a little check of our hearts. Um, what is your first concern when you wake up in the morning? What is your first concern when you are 
led or, or you feel God impressing upon you a new, a new course of your life, a new place to minister, a new place to live, one of the first things that come to your mind is that things like, will the house have air con? <laughs> you know, does it have a Western kitchen? <laughs> right? Um, you know, will I be able to find a comfortable bed? Uh, is, will it be easy for me to get around in that place? Right? Is that your first concern? And I'm not saying it can't be your fifth or sixth or tenth concern, but is it your first concern? Right? Right? Or is our first concern the kingdom of God? Is our first concern, God, what are you calling me to do? Where are you calling me to go? How are you calling me to be engaged in kingdom work? Right? Um, if our main worry is if they have a Starbucks there, you know, something could be missing. Okay. So secondly, he, he says that, um, that the work, the mission, is the kingdom. Right? That is the focus. That is the agenda. We now live as those who pursue God's kingdom. And there's a lot of confusion about this because we oftentimes misunderstand what, God, what Jesus means by kingdom. Uh, he says here, actually, you, sh- you need to go out and be proclaiming, be evangelizing, is the word of Evangelion, evangelizing the, the kingdom. Um, and throughout the Gospels, uh, the gospel and the kingdom are often interchanged and intertwined, but we don't get the connection, right? We understand that the gospel has something to do with Jesus giving his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. But we don't get what that has to do with the kingdom. And I think it's because we, we, um, we misunderstand the, the two-pronged focus of what the gospel is about. You see, we think of the gospel as saving us often from sin. And that's very important. Uh, Jesus died because we needed our sins cleansed. We are guilty before God. We are under judgment and condemnation. And certainly a, a, a clear part of the gospel looks back at what we are saved from, that Jesus has saved us from sin and death and judgment. But the gospel is not simply what, what he saved us from. It's also about what God has saved us to. And what exactly has God saved us to? Well, he saved us to life in the kingdom. Right? He saved us to live life in God's presence. And the kingdom doesn't mean that someday I'm going to die and go to heaven. Right? Uh, it means here and now. Okay, the kingdom, Jesus always uses the kingdom in present terms. You're either in the kingdom now or you're not. Right? It's not something we await for later. Because Jesus has either saved you from sin and death to the kingdom or you're not yet saved. So the kingdom is life with God. It's living life in the joy and peace of his presence. It's living under his rule and reign. It means being a follower. And and life in the kingdom, if it means uh, putting God first and following him, it means following him as king who has right to rule over us. So following him and being active participants in the kingdom are very much the same thing. And it means experiencing the joy and life of all that the cross has purchased for us. Not just what it saved us from, but what it saves us to. Uh, there's a lot more we can say about the kingdom, but you clear on that, right? That's what he means by the kingdom. And he says your job, your mission in life, your single mission in life now is the proclamation of the kingdom. Uh, so let's go back to the, the, the poor guy whose father just died, right? Is Jesus saying, don't go to the funeral? 
It's not exactly what he says, right? He's not saying don't go to the funeral. He's saying this. He's saying whatever you do, do it now with a different mission. Okay, before you were going to bury your dead because it was your duty uh, to your family and you felt this burden of duty and responsibility and obligation. I think Jesus is saying, yeah, go to your go to your parents' funeral. But remember, you go now with the mission of proclaiming the kingdom. You're not going about, because you're not going about the dead people. Remember, there's no benefit there. You're going for the benefit of the living who remain to make clear to them the kingdom, to announce to them that the kingdom is near if they will draw into it. Um, I think that's what Jesus is saying. And, and uh, so the question is, is the kingdom our passion? If it is our passion, it means that we personally should be pursuing it with all of our being. Right? We should be pursuing life with God, life in his presence, life in his joy and peace every day of our life. Because right? um, we're not going to be very good salesmen selling the kingdom if we're not in it and pursuing it ourselves. Right? And that's one of our problems with evangelism. Right? We, we're not really pursuing the kingdom ourselves, but we're no... We know we're supposed to be selling it to somebody else. So how does this work, you know? It's like the used car salesman that would never buy the car he's selling, okay? He's either got to become a really good liar or he's not going to sell the car. And that's kind of how we are as Christians. We either become really good liars selling something we don't believe in or we don't sell it. Or we love the kingdom and we can't imagine anybody else not wanting to be in it. Right, so, first thing is we should be pursuing God's kingdom, pursuing the life that Jesus unfolds for us through the cross, through his grace, every day of our life. And then we should be diligently proclaiming what we have in Christ to others. Uh, ultimately, Jesus, at the end of Matthew, calls us making disciples. Right, we announce the kingdom and we lead people into the kingdom. We help them live there as residents of the kingdom under Christ's rule and direction and guidance and in his joy, right? That's making disciples. And that's what Jesus says it should be the passion and mission of our life. Uh, third principle. Uh, Jesus is not saying here that shelter is not important, right? And, and here's the deal. Uh, maybe you could do this, like I said, in Thailand. But Jesus is not saying, if you follow me, go out into the barren wilds of Siberia where it's 50 below zero and don't worry about a tent, Right? Because the result of that would be a bunch of dead disciples, right? And Jesus is not really, it's not what he's about, right? What he's saying is this. He's saying, I am your shelter. Okay, it's not, it's not, I'll follow you as soon as I've got that taken care of. It's, I'm trusting Jesus to be the shelter, the provision, the provider of my life. Our focus is to follow him. His job and duty is to take care of us. And he's promised to do that. Uh, most clearly in, in uh, Matthew 6.33, says what? Seek first the kingdom and, and his righteousness and what? And all this stuff gets taken care of. Right? In other words, you don't have to worry about it. He's not saying it's not important. He's just saying it's not your problem. Right? Your problem is hearing my voice and, and being convinced and clear and certain of what I am directing you to do. And when I've made that clear, you just do that. And I'll take care of it. I will provide, provide and supply for you. Here's the, the truth and the reality. God will never call you to do something and not give you all the resources you need to make it happen. 
right? Uh, when, when God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Israel, he said, you know, I'll, I'll provide. You know, that stick in your hand, throw it on the ground and watch what happens. Watch what I do through my power to open the door for this to, ha- this to happen. Right? He doesn't say to Moses, well, you just go and figure it out. You know, I don't know what you're going to do. Just, you know, just talk a lot or something. Right? No, God provides exactly what Moses needs. And he'll do that for you. He has promised to sustain and provide and provide everything we need. But the reality is our job is to clearly hear what God is directing us to. Because here's the reality. I know a lot of people have gone off and done things and they thought they were walking, following God. And they've started projects and they've done ministry and they've bought land and they've built things and they ended up in debt. And God did not provide for them. And then they say to God, you know, you promised you would take care of me and you didn't do it. And, and God would answer, well, I didn't ask you to build, build that in the first place, right? A lady in my church back in Colorado when, when uh, felt, you know, uh, moved to Colorado because, and, and went into debt building this very elaborate house because she liked Colorado. And I uh, got in huge debt, couldn't make the payments. Um, and I said, well, did you feel God called you to this? Well, no, it's just what I wanted to do, right? Well, God hasn't promised to fulfill all your dreams. He's promised to fulfill his mission. So we have to be super clear that we are hearing his voice. Last thing. um, We need to invest in gospel-focused relationships. Uh, Last incident, he he says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Um, Jesus is not saying here relationships are not important. Second great command is what? Right? First command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second command, love people as you would love yourself. Right? Relations are extremely important. But he's just saying, I have to be the first relationship. And I think he's saying that uh, you, when you put your hand to the plow, there's an image of going to work. You start the task or the job or the mission that I called you to. Well, what did he just say the mission was? Or what did he just say the task was? Proclaiming the kingdom, right? So you've been given this job assignment to proclaim the kingdom. right? If you look back, look away from the task, get distracted from that task, you're not fit. In other words, I think he's saying this. Every relationship should be Christ-focused and, redempt- and, and redemptive-focused. Right? God didn't give you these relationships for your own benefit and gratification. And that's, that's the problem. And may, maybe this guy, we don't know because it doesn't really say, but I get this picture that this guy is imagining this very noble send-off. Right? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to tell all my family, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Right? And they're going to gather around me, and they're going to just clap their hands, and they're going to they're they're have a party and a parade, and they're going to make banners, and there's going to be cake. Right? I don't want to miss out on the cake. So uh, I want to have this big send-off. You know, I want my church to pray for me, and I want them to dedicate me and all this stuff, and I want to be the star of the show, right? Because I'm going to be a disciple, right? You see, it's, it's very likely, and, and again, I'm reading a lot into it that may not be here, but it's very likely that what this was about was meeting his own needs, not just simply saying goodbye to family. And Jesus is saying, if your relationships are about you getting what you need and meeting your needs through other people, you're missing the boat. 
right? Every relationship you're in should be Christ-focused and gospel-centered. It should be about proclaiming the kingdom to them. Every relationship should be about helping people walk into God's kingdom and experience the joy and life and peace he has for them. Is that why we are in relationships? Is that the focus and purpose of every relationship you have with family, with friends, with neighbors? Is it proclaiming the kingdom? Or are you looking to gain things from them to meet your own personal needs? Um, Okay. Let's close with just some quick evaluation of our own life. Am I a true disciple? Because that's the real significant question. Um, Jesus is pretty clear on what it means to be a participant in the kingdom, to be a disciple, to be a follower. He says we must put Jesus first in everything, let him set the agenda of our life, and live on a mission to proclaim his gospel. Um, and we should be constantly evaluating this in our own life. And here's one of the problems, I think, in the Christian experience. Too much of what we identify as our Christian experience gets pit, uh, hung on one or two key events in our life, right? So in other words, you could say to a person, when did you get saved? And, and many people can look at a single moment or event in their life when they put their faith in Christ. Now that's not to say that's not legitimate, right? But is that single day in your life all that matters? Or does Jesus expect that from that day after every day you kept trusting in him, right? You kept seeking him as Savior. Or is it enough that you just did it once and then you went about your merry way, right? Same thing's true with commitment or discipleship. Oftentimes we look at this one key moment in our life when we felt God's call and we responded and we said, yes, God, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. And we assume that because we did it once 30 years ago or two years ago, that that commitment still holds true today, right? Because I did it once. I did that a long time ago. I don't have to go back and revisit that again. But to do that is to misunderstand the journey of a disciple, because the reality is it's a choice and decision we have to make every day. And the, the reality is we could have done it really good last week and really do it badly this week, right? We can be in the right place where we are putting Christ first, and, and, and if we're not careful, uh, we can let expectations of others creep in, the duties of family creep in, and start to take precedence and priority over Christ. Where uh, our own desires begin setting our agenda, not the mission of Christ. Where our own self-interest begins setting the goals for our life, not the mission of Christ. So let, let me just walk through some real quick questions. Um, first of all, how do I make decisions? Right? How, how am I making decisions? And the reality is that every day we make decisions. And I'm not talking just about the big ones. Like, you know, we made a big decision to move to Thailand. Probably you didn't just go off one day and buy a plane ticket and get on and come here. Probably you made decisions, and it was a big deal. And you probably prayed about that because it was such a big deal. That's great. But what about the little everyday decisions? About your time, your schedule, how you use your time, how you, how you invest the hours of that day. Right? Are you seeking God about what he wants you to do today with every minute and every hour that he's given to you? Or you just kind of assume that you got that under control and you got it figured out, right? Um, 
If you think you just got it figured out and you're not even asking, you're probably not putting Jesus first in those things, right? Uh, how are you making decisions? I'm convinced that the only way to really make sure that every decision and every moment of our day is directed by God, we must be spending time daily in his word and in prayer, listening to his direction. What does that process look like in your life? Are you daily seeking to hear God's voice lead and direct you? And, And do you see the fruit of that in your life? Do you see that I'm doing things because... I got clear direction from God, right? Clear direction from God. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or are you just doing what you're doing because you thought it was a pretty good idea? And you're pretty convinced if you thought it was a good idea, God certainly thinks it's a good idea, right? That would be true of all firstborns. If you're a firstborn, you know, you're convinced your ideas have to be from God. I say that as a firstborn. Um, Second one. well, let me, let me, one more thing on that one, decisions. Um, I'm reluctant to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, are you sure that you are not being driven by expectations and duties? You know, one, of the, one of the things that's true of our community, of people who live internationally, is how many of us make decisions based on what, based on what our kids want. Because right? we feel guilty that we drag them halfway around the world and so we let our kids dictate our lives, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't ask your kids questions. You shouldn't involve them in family decisions. But it's amazing to me how many families and people say, well, we go to this church or that church or whatever. We do this or that because our kids decided. And we just kind of let them do that because, okay, I don't care how much you love your kids. You should never do anything because a human being decides it's good. It should always be because God has directed you. You're not teaching your kids to follow Christ if you're letting them set the agenda for your life, right? Okay, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? Either you're following Christ or you're not. Okay, just a warning. Be careful with that one. Um, second one, uh, what is the driving passion in my life? How am I making and setting goals in my life? Am I really uh, focused on the gospel? Am I really pursuing God's kingdom? Um, am I really walking daily with him? And am I experiencing the joy and peace of his kingdom? Um, and, and a way to measure that is just to ask simply, am I closer to God now than I was a year ago? Right? Am, I, am I experiencing more of his presence by my growing in his kingdom? Then I should feel that I'm farther along now than I was a year ago or 10 years ago. Um, and how would you measure that? Lastly, um, Am I making disciples? Right? If, the, if the call and mission of Jesus is the kingdom of God and proclaiming, bringing people and equipping them to walk as, as participants of his kingdom, then am, am, is every relationship I am in somehow focused on discipleship? Right? Am I using every opportunity I have in relationships to mentor and encourage and draw others deeper into a walk with Christ? Uh, I, I just wonder, and I, I, I feel that uh, many hearing this, your, your response is, well, Jesus asks a lot. And honestly, I'm just tired, right? I'm burned out, and I hear all this, and it just overwhelms me because I already can't do what I'm doing, and now I feel like 
Jesus is asking so much more, right? You feel that way? You feel like this is impossible. I can't do this, right? And if this is what it means to be a disciple, I'm in serious trouble, right? Well, uh, let's, let's close by reading Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Because what Jesus is inviting us to is not hard, right? And, and it's our idea that it's hard that keeps us from trusting him, right? It is why we turn to other things and put them above Jesus. But the exact opposite is true. It is those other things, those other duties and expectations and demands that are hard. What Jesus asks is easy. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29, Jesus says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, right? Let me teach you what it means to walk in my kingdom and be my follower. Because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I guarantee you, if you're walking in the kingdom, your life is full of joy and peace. If you're not experiencing joy and peace, you need to stop trusting in the things that are burdening you and weighing you down. And you need to trust Jesus, that his, you know, he demands all. He has to be first. But what he wants to give you is so much easier and so much better. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.